3: Now the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM Time, 1203. Thanks so much for joining us for the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Coto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Spring home buying. What's going on? Why are so many people having a tough time finding a home? Mortgage rates are creeping up slightly. Chicago's Cinespace Studios planning a major expansion as the city's film industry continues to thrive. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the crypto roller. Coaster plunging downward. Let's see what's going on. Michael Palumbo is here, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk. Michael, always good to have you on the show. Uh, what's going on here? I thought all these cryptocurrencies were going to continue to rise.
4: <laughs> well, good afternoon, Cisco, and thanks for having me on again. You know, it certainly looked that way, and then all of a sudden, Coinbase uh, goes public on April 14th, and that topped them all out. And and those types of events happen. A lot, like uh, Bitcoin's last real big top was back end of uh, 2017 when their futures started trading on the CBOE and and the Merck. So that event, which seemingly is a bullish event, uh, was a top, and and I think that this Coinbase uh, uh, IPO uh, was a similar event. And, uh, and now you're looking at, at most of these coins down 20 to 40% over the last few weeks. Uh, I don't think they're going to recover that, you know, go, go to all time highs anytime soon now. But I do think that, you know, overall, this is a legitimate asset, uh, space and, uh, and investors should look to uh, accumulate some of these coins uh, at these lower levels. I, I've always said uh, I've advocated a five to ten percent um, um, uh, uh, portion of your portfolio should be should be allocated to uh, to. These coins, especially crypto, you know, the, the, the high high level cryptos, which is Bitcoin and Ether, you know, because they are legitimate. They are they should be part of your portfolio. So we've got a sell off here. It's, it's actually uh, could be a buying opportunity if you've missed the boat so far.
3: Now, uh, when it comes to, I guess, the opportunity here, maybe that's something to remind people of when things start going higher. Oh, that's when there's all kind of interest and people want to get in when they should really be getting in is during the
4: dips no doubt about that there was a crescendo when coinbase went public and it almost was screaming top when, when that happened, and i I, was on, I think it was on your radio show that day, and uh, we talked a little bit about it but but um, you know when events like that, big events like that happen, often it it signals a change in direction, and in this case it, it did it did happen now i don 't think this is a long term sell off here, but certainly uh, I think that the rest of this quarter will be a little bit difficult for cryptos to recover from from that because there was such a crescendo, such a, 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 Bullish sentiment in the market when Coinbase went public, uh, that it just seems like it'd be hard to believe they're just going to go right back to all-time highs. I think we're gonna we're gonna tread water here for a while. You
3: talked to earlier about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, there's all these other coins out there. Yeah. You know, Dogecoin, Litecoin. Yeah. There, there's just there's dozens and dozens of these things. Uh, should investors, if they're going to have part of their portfolio in crypto, should they stick with the the big names that seem like I don't know maybe they have more staying power?
4: Well that's an excellent question. My feeling is I have positions in Bitcoin and ether. I don't touch the rest of them um, mainly because I think there's a lot higher risk they're they're much more volatile and there's just higher risk that those coins go to zero um, I think Bitcoin and ether have proven that ethereum have proven that they're, they're going to be around uh, they both can coexist. All of these can coexist. But when you're talking about something like a, a Dogecoin or, or Ripple, um, they they have been the best performers over the last year. But I I, st- I stay away from the ones that I, I don't. Comp- you know, I I feel like I understand Bitcoin and Ether very well. Um, and and uh, when I say very well, believe me, it's still it's still early early stages in these things. But I, I definitely you know believe in them. Uh, but at some of the lower level coins, where the investors have been making most of the money recently, uh, I, I just I, I don't play those coins those coins.
3: Thanks so much for all of the great insight. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. The crypto roller coaster kind of struggling right now. Coming up, business is booming for the Chicago film industry. A big expansion is in the works at Chicago's Cinespace Studios. Let's get the latest on the film industry in the city. Greg Hines is here, columnist at Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Greg, we're talking films. We're also talking different TV and streaming shows. There's a lot going on in the, the industry here yeah i
5: i i have to say cisco after after a year of a pandemic uh, and uh, uh lots of unrest uh, over over uh, uh, police tactics and whatever it's nice to have a, just a pure good news story report for, for <laughs> seems Jane.
3: rare doesn't it
5: <laughs> yeah and this is this is exactly that um uh, there's this outfit called it's in a space. It's on the near southwest side. That started slowly and is and is bit by bit picked up. It's the home of uh, uh, for TV watchers uh, shows like Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, uh, uh, the Shy and whatever. Uh, well, their business has uh, has really bounced back uh, with the, the letting up of the pandemic, and it's part because of a structural change in in mostly in the TV business. Um, you know, once upon a time there were only four or five networks and they can only commission so many shows. Well, now you have a lot of stream shows. You have Amazon producing stuff and Lionsgate and a bunch of other things. So the de- so the demand for sh- the number of shows and places to produce them has really skyrocketed, and this particular uh, uh, production facility seems to be pretty well placed. Uh, they are now maxed out at their old facility. They have 41 sound stages, but they've just bought a uh, 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 another building that they're going to use to uh, to move. Kind of back office stuff uh, out of their main production thing. It'll clear space there. And uh, according to them, uh, what's now uh, the 42, not 41, the 42 sound stages now, they may add another 19, almost increasing it 50%. And they hope to do this by late in the fall. Uh, now, each of those represents shows that hire hundreds of people.
3: It's good news. Sure is. I remember back when, um, I think it was Governor Quinn, when they announced that Cinespace was coming to town. A lot of skepticism, you know, are people actually going to do these productions in Chicago? This must mean Chicago, for uh, maybe a variety of reasons, is pretty attractive for these productions.
5: Yeah, I mean, it, there's an interesting, very Chicago story behind all this. The guy who runs Senate Space, Alex Piscios, uh, 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 has been involved in some things. He was uh, involved in a federal trial. He testified that, that uh, he actually paid bribes because the Teamsters were, were shaking him down. Uh, so, you know, uh, he also sought some state money that uh, one of the papers made a big deal about subsidy money. Uh, but by and large, uh, uh, this operation is more than self sustaining. Uh, Uh, there's a lot of minority people there that uh, work blacks and Latinos is just, just, this is not just all uh, white folks. Um, it's located in a part of town, the near Southwest side that needs jobs. We're in the, little village area. Um, you know, and uh, when people all over the world turn on their TVs, they see pictures of Chicago. How do, what's not to like about this?
3: Exactly. And they do, I mean, they, they shoot there at CineSpace Studios, but they're also at locations all around the city, bringing a little of that economic development to other parts of the city as, you know, they have crews moving through and using different services around the city.
5: Yeah, I was going home the other night, and I, uh, I was going to walk through Macy's on my way to the subway, and uh, there were a bunch of cops there, so you go going to Macy's, it's okay, but you can't go down the block because we're shooting. This is like 7 o'clock at night, and there's a crew out there, 15 or 20 people, they're all being paid, uh,
3: and, you know, uh, that's nice to see. Sure is. Yeah, really good stuff. Thank you, Greg Hines. You read him in Crane's Chicago Business. Up next, Entrepreneur Friday, a growing Chicago software company. It works with small to mid-sized businesses. It's now worth billions. An Economy of Words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. In this segment, we are heading to the cloud to learn about a Chicago based software company. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line, Jason Vandyboom, founder and CEO of Active Campaign here in Chicago. Jason, it's really good to have you with us. So tell us, for people who are not familiar, tell us about Active Campaign.
6: Sure. Uh, Active ActiveCampaign uh, has customer experience automation, and basically that means we help over 145,000 customers uh, automate one-to-one communications throughout the entire customer life cycle. Basically, we help businesses make every customer feel like the most important customer.
3: And how important does that end up being for businesses? I, I don't mean in a monetary sense, but just to have it so that customers don't feel like another number.
6: Yeah, I think it's important to bring that, that, that business or that small business's personality and that, that human touch that oftentimes is found in person. How do you bring that digital and then connect the in-person and digital experiences together, especially through through times of transformation?
3: Talk about the capital that you've raised and what that process has been like. There's a lot of other entrepreneurs out there who need to raise money, and they're just kind of wondering how to navigate it.
6: Yeah, we've always just been focused on our customers and uh, capital and everything else has sort of followed. So, you know, we're excited. We just raised our Series C, which was a $240 million round um, from some great investors we brought in. Um, But really looking forward to, like, what can we do with our customers, take some of their inspiration from these, like, amazing small businesses and continue to craft what we've been working on.
3: Yeah, something maybe to stress that your software supports small businesses, not just for the big guys exactly
6: yeah i think that's where a lot of impact can be had and quite frankly like where the best ideas come from as well and those ideas are oftentimes what mid-market and larger companies are trying to trying to get to as well
3: so how did you get this started i mean did active campaign begin with what you're doing now in mind or did it evolve
6: we have a atypical story uh so i started the company in 2003 so just a short 18 years or so ago Um, And for the first 13 years, I went from one to 15 people. Um, Since then, uh, we've grown to over 850 people. Um, And it's really been just kind of following like the idea of a customer experience using uh, like being a small business ourselves, figuring out like what can help us save time, but also our customers save time. How can we both programmatically bring that to market, but then also have like world class customer facing teams. So we're really more of a partner to a business than technology. And I think that's a very unique uh, differentiation of how we approach the problem.
3: Well, really interesting stuff. There's clearly a need for it, and that's why you just keep growing, planning to be a thousand employees by the end of the year. That is Jason Vandyboom. He is founder and CEO of Active Campaign, based here in Chicago. That's Entrepreneur Friday. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. In this segment, we are heading to the cloud to learn about a Chicago based software company. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line, Jason Vandyboom, founder and CEO of Active Campaign here in Chicago. Jason, it's really good to have you with us. So tell us, for people who are not familiar, tell us about Active Campaign.
6: Sure. Uh, ActiveCampaign uh, has customer experience automation, and basically that means we help over 145,000 customers uh, automate one-to-one communications throughout the entire customer lifecycle. Basically, we help businesses make every customer feel like the most important customer.
3: And how important does that end up being for businesses? I, I don't mean in a monetary sense, but just to have it so that customers don't feel like another number.
6: Yeah, I think it's important to bring that, that, that business or that small business's personality and that, that human touch that oftentimes is found in person. How do you bring that digital and then connect the in-person and digital experiences together, especially through, through times of transformation?
3: Talk about the capital that you've raised and what that process has been like. There's a lot of other entrepreneurs out there who need to raise money, and they're just kind of wondering how to navigate it.
6: Yeah, we've always just been focused on our customers and uh, capital and everything else has sort of followed. So, you know, we're excited. We just raised our Series C, which was a $240 million round um, from some great investors we brought in. Um, But really looking forward to, like, what can we do with our customers, take some of their inspiration from these, like, amazing small businesses and continue to craft what we've been working on.
3: Yeah, something maybe to stress that your software supports small businesses, not just for the big guys
6: exactly yeah i think that's where a lot of impact can be had and quite frankly like where the best ideas come from as well and those ideas are oftentimes what mid-market and larger companies are trying to trying to get to as well
3: so how did you get this started i mean did active campaign begin with what you're doing now in mind or did it evolve we have a
6: atypical story uh so i started the company in 2003 so just a short 18 years or so ago Um, And for the first 13 years, I went from one to 15 people. Um, Since then, uh, we've grown to over 850 people. Um, And it's really been just kind of following like the idea of a customer experience using uh, like being a small business ourselves, figuring out like what can help us save time, but also our customers save time. How can we both programmatically bring that to market, but then also have like world class customer facing teams. So we're really more of a partner to a business than technology. And I think that's a very unique uh, differentiation of how we approach the problem.
3: Well, really interesting stuff. There's clearly a need for it, and that's why you just keep growing, planning to be a thousand employees by the end of the year. That is Jason Vandyboom. He is founder and CEO of Active Campaign, based here in Chicago. That's Entrepreneur Friday. This is Chicago's all news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Cisco Coto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The future of the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine expected to be revealed today. This is Rob Hart.
7: People in Chicago can now get a walk-up COVID shot. No appointment required.
3: Streaming companies and film studios work on release strategies as movie theaters start to reopen. The spring home buying season kicking into gear. We'll get the latest on the craziness of the market. On Wall Wall Street, the Dow is up 227, the Nasdaq is up 208, and the S&P up 47 points, oil up almost 1%. Sunshine in Chicagoland, but getting a little cloudier and some light rain in some of the far northwest suburbs. Right now, 57 degrees. New guidance is expected today on whether to resume the Johnson & Johnson coronavirus shot. Correspondent Rita Foley.
2: Expert CDC advisors are considering whether there's a link between the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine and highly unusual blood clots that have developed in several people who've gotten the shot. Here's what the CDC will want its advisors to tell them. Is there a risk? And if so, how big is it? How do we balance this with the need to vaccinate millions against a virus that's still infecting tens of thousands of Americans every day? Should there be warnings of a very rare risk with the shot? Depending upon what the advisors say, J&J vaccinations could resume quickly. I'm Rita Foley.
3: People in Chicago seeking the COVID vaccine now have more options. The Chicago Department of Public
7: Health says walk-up vaccinations are now available at the city-run COVID vaccination sites. While an appointment is not required, you still need to provide proof of residency, employment, or medical care in Chicago. Walk-up service is subject to vaccine availability. The vaccine sites include the Apostolic Faith Church on the south side, Richard J. Daly College on the southwest side, Chicago State University, the United Center, and Wrigley Field. Cook County is now offering walk-up vaccinations at its vaccine sites in Tinley Park and Mattson. Rob Hart, News Radio 105.9 FM. It's 1232
3: on the Noon Business Hour. News that makes you money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets doing pretty well. The Dow up 230, NASDAQ up 210, and the S&P is up 48 points. let's see what's going on. Gary Kaltbaum is here, president of Kaltbaum Capital Management. Gary, uh, you can find him online, by the way, garyk.com. Gary, what do you make of what you're seeing today?
0: Uh, Well, we've been calling for months for a melt-up in the markets based on uh, the virus decelerating, the vaccine accelerating, the opening up of the country, and the refusal of the central bank to even stop printing trillions of dollars Uh, along with the European Central Bank, and I think you're seeing it. And I think the next move, you're going to see the NASDAQ break out to highs, and I think we're going to have a pretty darn good next couple of months, and then we'll revisit it uh, because there's a little too much froth and speculation out there, and we may be in the latter stages of the move.
3: Well, that's what's making me wonder, that froth. uh, Is that a good thing, then, if prices go higher before some of the valuations are really in line?
0: Well, ultimately, it's not great news when there's so much froth and speculation. And more importantly, leverage uh, margin has been skyrocketing. Uh, that's people uh, uh, using borrowed money to buy stocks. Uh, but for right now, we're in good stead. And uh, the, the reaction to earnings have been pretty good. I suspect that we're going to have easy comparison. So right now, I think we're in a definite uh, uh, sweet spot here.
3: When it comes to taxes, yesterday, is, it's not official yet, but there was word that it sounds like the president's going to propose significantly raising capital gains taxes for many Americans, not all, but many. Uh, and Wall Street immediately dipped on that news. Does this bounce back today mean Wall Street's not really concerned about it?
0: Well, I think Wall Street is concerned, but we already have a few Democrats coming out saying no chance. Uh, one of the uh, uh, important Democrats in the uh, House came out from New Jersey said, "I'm already losing too many businesses and, and, and citizens here. I can't, we can't do this." And just remember, some of these uh, blue states have very high uh, taxes uh, themselves on top of what Biden's proposing. So I think it's DOA. Uh, but they're going to come back with other things, and it's something that we're going to have to watch for down the road because they're proposing a heck of a lot of taxes. On the country.
3: I'm interested in what you think about the uh, the cryptocurrencies here as they've kind of gotten hammered. Is that just what we can expect, that kind of volatility? Or should people really be wary of putting any money in these?
0: Uh, I'd be wary. You, just, you look uh, after a six-fold move, everybody went nuts and saying, I've got to buy, got to buy. And they came out with a, uh, an IPO Coinbase at Ridiculous Valuations. Uh, after the big gigantic move. Uh, my message to everybody, just so you know, when any asset class goes up six to seven fold in a year, there's a chance it can drop 50% and still be up threefold. So uh, pick your poison, be careful. I think it's a bubble. I think we have that DOGE coin uh, going up a bazillion percent and it started out as a joke. So uh, that worries me. It reminds me of tulip bulbs and I've studied that. I've studied history. So just be careful. I think the next bear market's going to uh, wipe the slate clean on a lot of these things.
3: Yeah, well, you mentioned the NASDAQ earlier. Uh, you know, can tech continue this run, or, or is there really no choice? They're just such a big part of what's going on right now.
0: Well, uh, tech it will continue this run for now until the market does top. Uh, and this, uh, i already, uh, it, it's been resting for a while. I think Amazon hasn't done anything in eight months. If they all start breaking out of range, it's just going to add to the gains. Uh, And also, we watch the semiconductor index very closely. Uh, That just held support in the last couple of days. As long as that's in good stead, the market is. And uh, I just think you just stay bullish right now.
3: Thanks so much for all of the details. That's Gary Keltbaum. You can find him online, garyk.com. Buy, sell, listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The latest Spider-Man release, due in theaters this December, it's then going to take an unusual route in streaming. Joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line, Tom Lason, a media analyst based in Seattle. You can find him on Twitter, at Tom Lason. Tom, tell us what's going to happen here with Spider-Man.
7: Well, Cisco, they're going to do the theatrical release, of course. Then that movie is going to head to Netflix, where it's going to have exclusive rights for 18 months. And then it's going to head to Disney's platforms where it's going to stay long term. And what's interesting here are a couple of things. One, you'll notice that Sony is not dipping its toe into a streaming service. They are going to stay out of this and basically uh, sell content to the highest bidder, which is where I think a lot of this is going to end up at at the end of the day. The other interesting thing I'm seeing is this sort of tiering of rights. So you have a you have a theatrical release, and, and that that window, we can talk about that. There's a lot of pressure for that to shorten. You have your theatrical release. It goes to service A for a certain amount of money, goes to service B for a certain amount of money, and then maybe it lands somewhere um, for future viewing as part of a library. So it's very interesting how this content is sort of being tiered as it comes out the door at the major studios.
3: Interesting, though, that I guess it's really two different types of consumers, right? Because there's got to be some people who, if they know it's going to be streaming soon, will just avoid the theater, but others really want to see it in the theater.
7: Oh, absolutely. You know, they're the first adopter types, the people who have the first OLED TV screen, probably the same group, but also dedicated theater goers who just love that experience. And uh, we're going to get that back, it looks like, But the question is, how much has COVID changed things? Have things forever been changed where that gap, that 90-day gap between a theatrical release and showing up on a pay-per-view service is going to be shortened to maybe 45? And what the major studios are in discussions with right now is possibly adding another layer, if you will, upstream of all the VOD services, where there's some sort of a super movie channel possibly that the studios collaborate on and you pay maybe 30 or $50 to see a movie at home, but closer to the theatrical release prior to the streaming services. So it's really interesting.
3: And when it comes to this content that companies like Sony can, uh, basically the highest bidder gets it for a while, Uh, I wonder if that just makes things more uh, confusing for consumers because you know you want to see something, you know it's streaming somewhere, and you have to flip around and try to see where, and do you have that service? I mean, it's it's sometimes challenging.
7: Oh, absolutely. When you take that, trying to kind of have a brand placement, have a, have a a psychographic space for a particular show in the mind of a viewer, then add the complications of selecting the inputs on your TV and selecting the right device and figuring out what remote to use. This is, I'm going to say it's a mess. And I think one of the opportunities long-term that we've talked about before is going to be a new actor, possibly an old actor in the form of an MSO, to step in and become a new layer of aggregation where now you have one remote. It's much simpler and you're able to do things in a more a la carte kind of way where you have bookmarks on your television, much like you do on your computer to simplify things. So it's a very interesting evolution here.
3: You have to wonder at some point too, if, you know, cable, which has been shedding subscribers, if that will be more attractive again for people who say, I don't want to have to juggle three, four, five, six different streaming services.
7: Absolutely. You know, that that model worked and aggregated things for you. Yes, you had 70 channels that you didn't watch, but still you knew where the ones you did watch are and what was streaming where. I wouldn't be surprised if someday, Cisco, we don't see the the cable services step back in and provide that service in a back-end kind of way, possibly for the -the over-the-top solutions.
3: Thanks so much for all of the analysis. Tom Lason, media analyst based in Seattle. You can find him on Twitter at Tom Lason. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It is sheer madness in the home buying and selling market this spring. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Steve Kirch, real estate editor at market Watch here in Chicago. Steve, what are realtors telling you about this market?
8: Well, you hit it right on the head, uh, Cisco. It is hot. Everything that comes on the market is being snatched up. Uh, relatively quickly. And we've seen sales year over year in March in the Chicago metro area were up 25% uh, over March of 2020. Of course, March 2020 was when the uh, pandemic lockdowns first started to hit. So that number might be a little skewed. But honestly, it's, uh, it's quite a excellent start to the spring home buying season uh, in terms of the overall numbers
3: now so it's good for sellers i mean it sounds like they're getting prices that they were not expecting to get for people who are looking to buy though is it a challenge i mean if you don't have to buy do you really want to pay i don't know 30 40 50,000 more than you might otherwise have to
8: yeah prices in the Chicago metro area hit two hundred and ninety five thousand for the median home that was up thirteen and a half percent year over year, and that is crimping a lot of people's ability uh, to buy home sellers as you point out have the upper hand here uh, buyers have to be ready if they want uh, if they want to get in on these because the homes are going so quickly so it it probably is giving some of them. Pause. But if they do want to move or if they have to move, you know, they need to have financing in place. Even better is an all cash offer. That's very hard for most folks in the market. But, uh, you know, they have to be willing to trade off something, either price or amenities or size.
3: Yeah, right. If they want to be able to get it done. Um, So the fact, though, that we had the crash in 08, I mean, is this good overall, considering some people were still underwater with their home prices, even all these years later?
8: Yeah, I think, you know, there may be some areas in the metro area where that's still true, but for the most part, overall, we have uh, more than recovered from those lows, and clearly in the last year, with the way home prices have gone, almost everybody has got to be above water again.
3: Yeah, which is pretty good. So where do we go from here? I mean, if realtors say this is something unprecedented, do they have any idea where we go from here?
8: So at the moment, it seems like it would be just more of the same as we finish up the spring and go into the summer. We have seen some indications, though, because Single family homes, the detached houses that were so popular as people fled the city uh, in the pandemic and wanted more wide open spaces. It looks like some of that may be reversing uh, because there's such a low inventory of single family homes. A lot of folks are now starting to look back at condos and multifamily dwellings and say, you know, maybe with my vaccine, uh, I, I can handle a little tighter living arrangement
3: yeah it can be close uh, once again thank you so much Steve Kirch real estate editor at Market watch here in Chicago if you missed any part of today's noon business hour the replay podcast will be available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app